Theme song, theme song. (laughs) (laughs) It's the book we've all been waiting for. Welcome back to Wine on an Empty Stomach, brought to you by A Thousand Eyes and One Podcast. I'm Tanya. And I'm Nikki. Welcome back. We are so excited about this book. We've been waiting a year more to talk about it. Yeah. Well, a year since we actually started posting our book club, but more than a year since we read it. Um, We started our book club because of this book. Um, We start. I think, how did we went to the signing, right? Yeah. With, with, with uh, Sulu, who was with so baby young. Sulu, at that yeah. Time. <laughs> baby Sulu. Um, yeah, sorry. Now I've, I've got my things sorted out. Um, we went to the, I guess we read the book and then we went to the signing, and N.K. Jemison so graciously signed all three of our copies. Yep. <laughs> Tanya had the whole series, I had the whole series, and she signed each, actually, I have it here, signed each and every one of them. And yeah. oh, yeah, I can even see. Hold on. fine so super nergasm moment um but then we just we like this book so much we can't stop talking about it because it's unlike anything i've ever read before like sure it's speculative fiction sure it's uh dystopian sure it's you know post-apocalyptic and all those vibes but it took me maybe like five or six pages to really understand that i was reading someone who's writing who's who was writing in a style i had never encountered before and I was a little bit uncomfortable with it, to be completely honest. I was like, I don't, what is this type of storytelling? And then I read like a perfect sentence and I was sold. And after that, um, I was just like, you know, full speed ahead into the story. And uh, Tanya and I, as we were doing our rereads and uh, like rereading and uh, re-listening to this book, I was telling her that there's, the way that the words and the writing are constructed is such a huge part of the book that I feel like you know, if you listen to it on the audiobook, you'll get the experience and you'll get the story. But there is something that's really integral to the story that has to do with the words on the page for this one. I think more so than other stuff that we've read. So um, highly recommend reading the reading the book if you get a chance. Um, yeah, I'm glad you said that. Incredible. Be- yeah, I'm glad you said that because it's where she puts the words on the page is so intentional. Mm-hmm. So like the visual experience of reading it is is meaningful so as good. well <laughs> oh my god i oh never god. i haven't finished the audiobook i only started it because i ended up just wanting to read it to again read it yeah. yeah um for me this book was on i came across it on a list of like must reads a few years ago and forgot about it and then my facebook memories popped up and i had posted something about wanting to read it hadn't read it yet and by then the second book was out so mm-hmm. i bought it read it was completely obsessed read the second one and thank God the third one was just about to come out as I was reading the (laughs) second one because unfinished Uh, series you already know (laughs) you still got love you George no worries (laughs) we're not in the hater bandwagon we don't we don't take your time we'll be patient there are other things we want it to be good um but yeah so this this story um she said multiple times that this is not earth that we know this mm-hmm. is a completely different planet, so don't compare it to Earth. Yep. But um, it's a planet, and it's called the Stillness, despite the fact that it's always moving. Yes, lots of tectonic activity, and um, I don't. 
Go ahead. I don't even know where to start. <laughs> <laughs> so we start at the end, the end of the world, the end of the world as we know it, right? Mm -hmm. um, un with an unnamed speaker. Well, no, we start with the woman whose son has died, right? Yeah. And then, then we go to the unnamed speaker with the inhuman companion mm -hmm. who's in the process of ending the world. So this is definitely a book you have to reread because it wasn't until my second read that I really remembered all of that and who that yeah. was. We won't get into that until we announce spoiler alert time, but- But there will um, be spoilers, so- Yes, this is gonna you. be- there's, no, there's almost impossible to talk about without spoilers. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You, you can't talk about it without spoilers. Um, and we there's so many clues in the beginning for what we get to in the very last line. And so it's a book mm -hmm. that you definitely do have to reread because when you reread it, you realize that, that she's been hinting this whole time as to what we need to be trying to understand, I guess. Mm -hmm. um, I don't know, do you wanna get into the plot? Or do you want to? So maybe we should talk, well, yeah, I was gonna say, let's talk about the characters, but I guess that's a huge spoiler, so. <laughs> All right, spoiler alert, starting from now, it's gonna be spoilery. So yeah. if you don't want spoilers, do you hear that screaming? I do. <laughs> Sorry. It's okay. Um, <laughs> if you don't want spoilers, look away run away come back later come back after you come back after you've read the book yeah come back after you've read it so starting now we're gonna have spoilers so these three characters damaya cyanite and esun um ak <laughs> <laughs> said mark this date on the calendar we're talking spoilers <laughs> Well, it's, it's just impossible. It's impossible. Trust, to... we, we tried to figure out how to do it without spoilers. Um, and the way, because, well, I guess we should let you guys know, we're going to do all three books. Yes. We've decided because... to dedicate the next three, the next two book clubs to doing this entire series because we love it so much. And mm -hmm. uh, it's just, it was, re the reread was important for us because we had to figure out where to, like, where this particular story ended and like what happened in the next, in the next two books. Um, and this is just the beginning, you know, like yeah. this is all the world building to get you ready for like where it actually goes afterwards. Yeah. Yeah. Um. <laughs> yeah, we're gonna, <laughs> Micah, we're gonna definitely do the next two books. Yeah, you're right. It's, you, you can't just leave here and not come back mm -mm. because yeah. I got excited about the trilogy all over again and it, I was gonna reread it either oh, way. Yes. So mm -hmm. I was like, you know what, let's do our next couple of book clubs and we'll push our, the book we were going to do, we'll just push it back, whatever. So we meet, okay, the beginning, the woman whose son has died, Esun. We meet uh, Esun, then we find out the world is ending. And then we mm -hmm. meet Damaya, a little girl. And that's where we first learn about Origini. Mm -hmm. um, Damaya... What did you, <laughs> I'm trying to read comments at the same I'm time. Reading the comments at the same time. Yeah. <laughs> um, so starting with Damaya, I felt so bad for her. Oh my God. Yeah. You have like this little person who's been hidden away by her family. You're, you're, and I mean, 
And then your view about the family really comes to change. But, you know, as far as you know, she's basically living a very substandard life. It's almost like she's being kept prisoner. Yeah, they've had her prisoner within our own house. Yeah, they've had her locked in the barn for two weeks. She's pooping in a corner. They didn't even give her a bucket. They didn't give her blankets. And this is where we start to learn about what people's perceptions of origins Mm -hmm. are. They believe that they don't feel cold. They believe that they're dangerous, which they can be dangerous if they remain undrained. But they're not um, basically not human. Right. Not they don't human. believe they're human, but they totally are human. Um, so I felt bad for little Dama Dama, the name she hates. And mm. I started off hating her mother because it's like this is like like Dama Damaya was saying, like, but wouldn't you want to risk it all to save me? And mm-hmm. we Shafa, a guardian who we first learn about uh the guardians and what they do Making and what they are. Church. I know. <laughs> he sounds so terrifying. You know, they describe him as having like these broad shoulders, but then his body kind of tapers. And then he yeah. has these ice white eyes and uh, just really, really black hair. He sounds like a vampire. He gave me like like a little bit of a demonic Hagrid. Mm. I was just picturing somebody just massive. Um, See, I was picturing somebody very thin. Oh, like, interesting. Almost like a like um like an anime look, you know, like the wide mm-hmm. shoulders and the very narrow like waist and hips. Like the triangle. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> that's that's kind of how I pictured him. Mm-hmm. And then the and even though I know he wears a maroon uniform in my mind, I keep picturing black, but it's the origins who wear black. Yeah, the, the origins are black and then burgundy. So she thinks she's being taken by a child stealer, and obviously she's not. Um, she's going to the full yeah. room. And, you know, we're led to believe like this is like her salvation, you know, like someone has come to save her from her circumstances and this is going to be really great. But, you know, we learn along the way that she's going from one sort of like slavery to another. Yeah, it's like a fucked up Hogwarts, the full room. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, I, the, the turning point for me with Damaya realizing like, okay, no, this is no good, is when he Ooh. breaks her hand. When he breaks her hand on the pommel of the saddle. Oh my God. To make her prove one that she has control. So not just breaking her hand, but breaking her hand. And then you find out he had that glass knife aimed at her heart mm. so that if she did lose control, he could kill her quickly. But he could just kill her, right. Yeah, I would say like this is in this series, um, like people discover that their origins through stress, like stressful situations. It's kind of like in Harry Potter where magic comes on like unexpected as as a reaction to something. And mm-hmm. they talk about like, if this is a skill that's like so innate that, you know, newborns can do the things that they do. Like it's an, it's an instinctual reaction that they have to learn how to control uh, their ability to, let's call it, talk to the earth. And whew, that handbreaking scene. It's just very, the pacing of that is just so slow and very deliberate. And you can just feel the pressure mounting like as he's going through that. And this is all, of you know, because they're walking, they're riding through an area of the country where Father Earth is very active. Like there's a lot of tectonic activity happening um, and she finds herself tuning into it. And Shaf was like, eh, 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 eh. no, 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 no. That's not how this works. You don't get to just like ride on your instincts and like pull it and pull it to the earth. And she didn't even realize she was doing it. Right. Um, she didn't realize he was doing it, but and she said she can control herself. And he's like, well, can you? And he subjects her to the handbreaking um, to see whether or not she can. 
And at that moment, because like all these other, this is happening parallel with like her other two storylines, you realize that she was also a prodigy, you know, like she was able to maintain control and not like ice him in her Taurus. Um, and I feel like on a reread, you see like, oh, wait a second, this is, this is why, um, and this is probably why she, they ended up pairing her with, uh, with Alabaster, which I have a couple of theories about, but we can get into that later. Yeah. It's in the beginning, it seems like Shafa cares about her and that mm -hmm. he's there to take care of her. And, you know, he's looking down on these poor, like rural people who would just, who just kill their origins. And you mm -hmm. realize, and of course we realize that the fulcrum really isn't that different. Yeah. And when he broke her and then, you know, you also, when she's at the fulcrum, she sees other kids who've just arrived and they have casts on their hands. So this is mm -hmm. a thing. It's a regular thing. This is a thing. Yeah, which makes me wonder how, yeah. And it made me wonder how many origins have been killed on the way to the fulcrum because they couldn't control. Mm -hmm. How many have been killed and we can get into the node stations later, but how many end up in node stations? That's the worst part of the book, man. It's the yeah. most disturbing part. Um, I despise Shafa so in book one so much. I don't, <laughs> I don't really know my feelings by the end. But and AK is right. You know, all this time he's telling her that he loved her, and she's just like she's come from such a broken background that she's trying. He's the first person who's accepted her. And she thinks is accepting her for who she is, but he looks down upon her in the same way and believes like their powers are to be controlled. Their powers are to serve the, um, to serve the stillness. And it's his job to protect the stillness from, you know, that, that the things that she is, but, you know, it's very much an abusive relationship. You know, right. It's very, very much manipulative. It's very much, um, uh, Oh God! Just like the the like her, know, well, the it's, power dynamics. It's it's very you know I'm the only one who loves you. I'm the only one who who can understand you, and I'm gonna kill you if you get out of line. But I'm gonna kill you if you if you stay in line and you <laughs> and if I need to, if the need arises, even though you're keeping in line, I'm gonna kill you then too. And right. you know her poor little girl's heart is just like so hungry for love and so hungry for all of these things that she's just like doesn't stop to think that it's <laughs> diddle finger <laughs> yeah shafa this is a, from the comments yeah uh, shafa gives off loads of diddle finger and jorah vibes wow yeah <laughs> it's like <laughs> <laughs> um so and then at the fulcrum mm -hmm. you know we kind of get an idea of what it's like there there's there's people there are kids who are born at the fulcrum. Mm -hmm. There are kids who are brought to the fulcrum. Um, Demaya gets bullied in the beginning. The whole stealing her shoes, and then that one mm -hmm. handsome guy who's really nice to her, and the girl crack who they kept trying to break. Yeah. Um, they were hoping, I guess, that she would have some type of cataclysmic response for fun. I don't know with mm -hmm. the goal of you know, children are crazy <laughs> but um crack is never mentioned again uh demaya says after the whole pranking thing goes awry and she finds out that crack was at the head of it um and so like again you gotta wonder was she killed or did she end up at a node station so let's talk about mm -hmm. cyanide let's talk about Obviously, cyanide. uh we learn through Demaya and her meeting with Binoff 
and their whole thing that Demaya chooses the name Cyanite as her mm -hmm. origin name. So they all choose yeah. a name of some type of stone. And that's the moment we realize that we're following one person's storyline, not three. Yeah. Because going into it, you think it's just this girl Demaya, this, this young girl, woman Demaya, Cyanite, and Cyanite, this older and woman then, yeah. Esun. And now we know- Who's on a, right. who's on a now we know to that, find her uh, daughter and kill her husband. Right, <laughs> right. Because so now we know that Demaya is a young cyanite and mm -hmm. it starts to kind of change the story because up until this point, um, not change the story, but change how we're perceiving it. Because up until this mm -hmm. point, we know that Esun came home, her son is an origin and she's been keeping it hidden and mm -hmm. he's been beaten to death by her husband who apparently has never shown any signs of violence up until this point. Yeah. And so it shows how extreme the reaction to Origini is, which when you think about it is so stupid because why yeah. wouldn't you want to protect the one person who could protect your Everybody. entire village yeah. from shakes? You see like the indoctrination that they, that they as a society are going through, like, you know, uh, just that they're all, they're all uh, made to believe like origins are bad. They're dangerous. Um, the only place for them is in the fulcrum because that's where the where the guardians can take control of them and like even the guardian's name you know the name of guardian uh, but like if you're out in a small in a small calm out where they don't get exposed to much else like all you know is that these people are bad and they're dangerous and you have to protect yourselves from them not that oh they could actually save your life like the only reason that village is alive is because there are origins in it this is from Micah Clark. I just looked up cyanite rock and it's described as an intrusive rock, which is so fitting. Yeah, and even it when Shafa, fitting. when she tells Shafa her, her name, he was like, oh, it forms around the edges and there it's hard to break. And um, he's like, basically this fits you. And she was yeah. really proud of that. So they choose an origin name, their slave name, I guess, when you think about mm -hmm. it, right? <laughs> yeah, really. Um, you, would, you would think in a society where you have, you're at constant, in constant danger of natural disaster that if there was a type of human who can protect your community that you would mm -hmm. want to keep them but because they've been taught this whole time that origins are completely i mean excuse me i mean i get that an untrained origin can be really dangerous you don't want like demaya the reason she's found out is because she almost ices a boy to death mm -hmm. because he pushed he her to react her. he was bullying her yeah, and she reacted fun. and didn't even know what she was doing. And it's because she's untrained and she's mm -hmm. young. So like, I get the idea of, you know, they need to be trained so that they don't accidentally hurt people. But you would think a community would want to protect those people. But when you think about it, the reason they don't is because it gives an excuse to essentially en enslave them. Mm -hmm. You know, it's 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 similar to how any community gets enslaved. You dehumanize them and make it seem like they're out of control and that they need mm -hmm. to, you know, be basically taken care of like cattle. And yeah, if if you tell yourself enough, well, they're not really human, then you then can anything is possible. Absolve yourself of the guilt exactly from enslaving them. Mm -hmm. and, and it's so just like okay, well, the process and like the flow of how it's supposed to be, ideally. There's an origin in your community. You discover them. You contact the fulcrum. The fulcrum sends a guardian to come get them and bring them back over there so they can train them and basically harness their powers for the good of the realm. Um, but that doesn't always happen. 
Right. One of the things Shafa's worried about when he's leaving with Demaya is that they'll be followed by villagers who want to kill her. Mm -hmm. um, they say that there's a saying in their teachings to find the center of the circle. So if there's a huge shake and your community somehow isn't hit and it's like looks like a circle has around it, has protected it, find the center and there you, there you have a raga, as they call them, which I feel like a little close to the N-word there with those Gs she in the middle. Yeah, she, <laughs> she, she knew what she was doing. Right. Um, you know, they say find the center. And so, yeah, so they, these people have been so conditioned to hate them that it goes beyond any sense of common sense. All logic. Um, defies all logic. Here's a comment. Yet the islanders later in the book don't have that same fear of untrained origins, even though they live on a fault line. Exactly. Mm -hmm. You know, later on, when Cyanate is on that island, um, uh, Mayov, mm -hmm. they they're, they make origins their leaders because mm -hmm. that's how they're able to live on an island. They're protected from tsunamis. They're, they're protected, protected from exactly. And it, it just makes so, and it makes sense, but it's because they never joined like the Sans, Sans and Empire, really. So they didn't get the same type. I don't know if, I don't even know if you can, you, what to call it, racism, bigotry, I guess just yeah, general bigotry. Maybe. Cause yeah. they, you know, they come from different origins, come from different races, but you know, there's this bigotry against them, which have we haven't gotten into why it started. I guess we'll get into that in the later books. <laughs> um, <laughs> Demaya and Binoff. So there's so many important things that happen and, and we really want to try to keep this to an hour. Definitely Micah. Indoctrination, yeah. Uh, yes, yeah, it's indoctrination. Yeah. Um, because they teach you in creche, which is like basically their elementary school or basic fundamental learning that, you know, they teach you about um, the, the, the tablets, which has got all the rules about a uh, stone lore, rather. Stone lore, which is basically how to survive in a, in a season. Uh, on, in, a in, season. A, in a fifth yeah. season. It took me a minute too to realize what fifth season meant. Mm -hmm. <laughs> it didn't it didn't come to me right away. Yeah, there's a quote somewhere in the book where she talks where she talks about it like death being the fifth season. Yeah, it's like the extended winter. Mm -hmm. Like the we have winter, spring, summer, fall, and then the fifth season, which is the, the long sixth, night. Which yeah, the long <laughs> night is the fifth season. Um AK Watts says, I would love to see the very beginning of this world, like where origins always hated this way, or did something happen to turn everyone against them? You'll find the answer out. to that is in the next that's book. That's why we'll do the other books. Because <laughs> we yeah. can't, we really can't stop here. We can't tell you, yeah. <laughs> um they find Binoff and Damaya find Demaya. two two really big things happen in Damaya's storyline. We mm. find this giant plug like thing a socket in the socket. center of the fulcrum we don't know mm -hmm. what it is but we know that it has something to do with the obelisks right mm -hmm. the other big thing is the guardian who finds them has some kind of glitch yeah. and shafa has to kill her by removing something from the back of her head it's so we hands. know that the guardians have some type of weirdness and mm -hmm. they have this implant in their sesapene, which is mm -hmm. this other organ that's in this world yeah. that's in the base of your brain, that you're like brainstem or whatever. Um, so those are like two really big things that happen with Demaya. Now later, 
when we're meeting cyanite, um, we find out about the fulcrum and their breeding programs. Mm -hmm. Their breeding programs. She started, that's how we meet her initially. She's introduced to us as some, this woman, she's got four rings. They're gonna pair her up with a 10 ringer um, because that's their scale of basically measuring ability. And they're gonna pair, pair with this uh, 10 ringer to go clear a reef, a coral reef. And um, I forgot the name of the place, but to basically to go clear Alia. Alia. Yeah, to clear a coral reef in Alia that's giving them pro problems. But you know, while on while they're doing that, she has to have sex with this ten ringer in the hopes of producing another origin of you know greater and, equal or and greater they, power. They take care to never outright tell her to do it, but it's mm -hmm. understood that that's what she's meant to do, and everybody knows. Yeah. And even the Don't person, get pregnant. right? The even the person who's assigning her to him says she has six kids. Mm -hmm. And obviously she's not raising them. They belong to the fulcrum. We learn mm -hmm. that children of origins who don't get origenic power become guardians because yeah. there's something special about them, which we find out more about the guardians in later right. books. But in later books, yeah. But I like that that was a nice little tidbit that was dropped in there. Cause you're like, well, what happens if two origins get together and they don't have, and they have a baby and they can't, and they can't speak to the earth. Like, oh, actually they become guardians. Right. You know, like. They're not, they're, they're not wasted. wasted. No. Right. <laughs> On the road with Alabaster when mm -hmm. nobody at the, the, not nobody. Maybe you should talk a little bit about Alabaster, right? Like Alabaster is basically a prodigy. He's raw power and talent. He's been blowing through their ring tests, you know, since he was, since right. he was younger and he's a 10 ringer. He's and a 10 ringer and there's only like a few. That's, there's like that's two the, living yeah. 10 ringers or something like that. Exactly. And it's only 10 because that's where their testing goes up to, but he's probably like a 35 yeah. ringer. Let's keep it real. He's just super, super powerful. Um, and so like partially, I think when she's paired with him, it's like, yes, they have to breathe, but she's hoping to get mentored by this person. And while, I don't know if that's where you're going, but while they're on this journey, she realizes that she can feel what he's been doing all along. Like he's going around just like, you know, casually stopping minor earthquakes. And, and things that are happening within. And you, I mean, I feel like the big part for Cyanite is visiting the node station where yeah. she learns what this is all about. But, yeah, she. so she learns what, this, what the node stations really are because she's like, I mean, there's people at the node stations who do yeah. this and she, she thinks that's, she sees it as mm -hmm. like a boring desk job. These these origins exactly. are not told what happens at the node, node stations. They just know exactly. that there's stations out in the like rural areas that protect they large see, swaths of land. Exactly. Exactly. Basically, their job is to keep uh, shakes from from reaching the communities that are outside of uh, Yemenis. Yeah, yeah, of Yemenis. And yeah. so they're like, you know, they like they're placed strategically around, still connected to the fulcrum. But like the job, it's like it's like you know, you were a cop and then you got assigned to some far out station, or you got you know, in the army got you know deployed to some station that nobody really wants to go. And she thinks that these people are just bored. Okay, stopping a quake here and there, and that it's a job that. You know, nobody it's wants, boring, but it's not like as exciting. Boring desk job. You just yeah. sit there all day long reading a book and quelling shakes. Yeah, because there's not, nothing. And the whole time, there's nothing yet because she's been brought up not to ask questions. And that's where Alabaster is like, you know, slowly working on breaking her mind open. But she very quickly finds out that node stations are not at all what she imagined them to be. No. <sighs> so we find out that these node stations are the young origins who couldn't cut it at the fulcrum but again they don't want to let a body go to waste 
is really mm -hmm. kind of what it is, right? They don't yeah. want to let a body go to waste. So they- And when you say cut it, you mean like they cannot control their power. They, they can't control their power. They're not going to get rings, but they can, but they find a use for them. You know, they're like the fulcrum scraps almost, or that's how they're treated, like fulcrum Makes scraps. Makes want to vomit. It's horrible. And so you find out that a lot of these uh, orogenic children are alabaster's children. As far as he knows, he has at least 12. Mm -hmm. He And he doesn't get to find out what happens. Um, no. When they go to this one node station, she sees the child and it's obvious that it's Alabaster's child. It looks just like him. It's also obvious that this child has lost control, we think has lost control and killed everyone. Mm -hmm. Except we find out that he didn't lose control. He did it on purpose because they've been sexually abusing him. Yeah. So they're in the node stations. Maybe we should have done a trigger warning for that. Yeah, um, trigger warning. But they're in these stations and they're operated on so that they can't do anything but Except react. the instinctual reaction to shakes. Mm -hmm. And so there's these perverts who get a kick out of like the helpless node station child. And this one somehow gains some sense of control and kills yeah. everyone. Basically, because they're saying that they, uh, the way that they have the, the, the children who are at, on the node station is that they keep them just alive enough to do what they're supposed to still shakes, right. which means that they're because they're in a lot of and because they've had like their sesame like operated on. It's a very painful experience for them to have the shakes. And so they think it's more humane just to like basically keep them sedated at all times, like, right. feed them through feeding tubes, like take like basically they're in a coma and they said that there are some perverts out there who pay for the privilege of basically having sex with these uh, node maintainers. And some of them don't want them to be unconscious because that's how they get off on it. And it's uh, like, I don't, if I, you know, they're like, you read things like it. I've it never been so close to throwing up while reading a book, but yeah. that almost did it for me. That part was, was definitely really upsetting to read. And it, and it, once again, it's like, we're learning about this world along with mm -hmm. cyanite and mm -hmm. she does yeah, throw up she, cyanite does yeah, throw she up. Does. Mm -hmm. um but yeah it's you get this just it's like a it's like a gut punch you know this this re, to find yeah. out like this is what's happening because you know along with cyanite you're thinking oh node station maintainer it's boring yeah. you know lowly not going to get that many rings origin but here's this like easy desk job it'll make some yeah. use of you and then to find out not only um not only is it oh. these people who couldn't control it but like people who are being bred it's it's just so many layers yeah yeah it's so many layers think, of exploitation and I just horror the, i think the interesting I, I i don't think i ever really picked up on it before but as we're talking about it we're just seeing the world the world like you know the order of things is established through like little hints here and there but just seeing I don't want to say watching cyanide become woke, but watching her become aware of what's actually going on. We're experiencing that at the same time as she is. And I think that is just brilliant. It's like yeah, a, little bit, I, a little piece by little piece, we're like unwrapping and seeing what's actually in, at the center of all of these things and like the purpose for why um, these awful things are being done to them. And whew, 
with each yeah, reveal, because it's like it's, it's so intense and beautiful. It's like you start off with, okay, Demaya's going to like bizarro Hogwarts. Oh, wait, no, Woo! this is a really fucked up Hogwarts because they break your hand before you get there and they'll kill you if mm-hmm. you lose control. Then it's like, oh, your name shit. is Toby. Yeah. And then it's like, she, you get there and you start learning about it. And it's like, okay, this place is dangerous. But if you keep your head down and pass your ring uh, tests, then you can get yourself somewhat of a life then you find out there's a breeding program and it's like well shit there's a fucking breeding program like all right this is getting kind of dark and then mm-hmm. past the breeding program it's like what do they do with these other kids where do they go and you find out now what's happening at node stations and what the node maintainers are and it's like this is it's just like level after level of fucked up and like you said yeah you're our eyes are getting opened along with cyanide's eyes and she is becoming more aware and alabaster has known all this stuff all along and he's so fucking over it and he's the only one right like he's like right. why, oh, here's any, a good why comment. is no one else asking questions here's a good comment for you mm-hmm. i feel like I'll... y'all can read <laughs> i feel like alabaster's character is such a great commentary on respectability tokenism and being the exceptional one out of your quote racial group yeah yeah it is and alabaster is yeah. sick of it he's sick of it and the thing and the interesting thing about alabaster is like we find out that he's done something to his guardian, so he's kind of like off the leash, right? Yeah. Um, but and we also find also, out that he was he was part of the he was born from the breeding program. He was born from the breeding program, right? He's like a great success, but he's also so incredibly powerful that they don't like they can't just come for him on their own. You know, like you need you need a team to take down Alabaster. Um, he oh oh my god, hold on. Which one do you want me to click on? uh no i think those are all fine okay yeah but yeah it's just watching alabaster be like the shining example of success of the breeding program and for him to be like the lone person who's asking questions because and it's because he's able to leave he's able to leave and to build connections and build relationships with people who are outside of the fulcrum and to travel and see you know traveling around the way around the world you know, quelling shakes and 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 putting his powers to the test that he's able to see that this is he understands that this is not right he sees kind of like the cruelty and the inhumaneness of the system that they're being brought up within and so it's no wonder that he wants to break it all up i will break the wheel (laughs) (laughs) yeah and like you know you see that like uh it seems like cyanide thinks okay well this is the only way i can have a life so i'm just gonna follow the fulcrum rules she's thinking about her next job she's thinking about promotions and Mm -hmm. he's saying like no 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 like fuck all of this yeah you know you need to open your eyes and see what this really is but when you've spent it's not just her life but it's been generations generations this This is how this world like you know and and so it seems like something that can't end right yeah, you know, if yeah. you, this this is just the world you live in, and so you try to find a way you to try to excel make it within work the for you. System. Yeah, right, right. Um, <laughs> oh, gosh, I'm like sweating thinking about alabaster. <laughs> alabaster, oh, I man, I started off kind of hating him. No, I didn't hate him. I just thought he was kind you of just a like, dick. What? Like, what's your problem? Right. And it's because we're reading it from Cyanide's perspective, right? Because yeah. she's annoyed by him. So automatically I was annoyed by him. Yeah. And in their first meeting where she she has to just go and just like have sex with him and just kind of like get it over with. It's like the most awkward, just like, you know, she's just like, all right, I'm just going to get on top and handle it. It's just like, oh God. 
And then yeah. I started to feel bad for him because we find out that when he first started the breeding program, he didn't know that he was being used as like a buck. You know, he, he yeah. thought these women were interested in him. Yeah. You know, they and <sighs> then they kept sending, they sent eventually 12, right? Mm-hmm. And we also find out that Alabaster's into dudes. So he didn't yeah. even, you know, so he, I don't know. Yeah. This was not fun for him at all. It was yeah. a chore. Because he apparently had somebody, you mentioned um, him disposing of his guardian, which was a type of power that we learn about later. Um, we'll mm-hmm. talk about Miev in a sec, but um, he had a he had a lover while he was at the fulcrum and, we, you know, terrible things happened to that person. And yeah. so he, he has more than just a little chip on his shoulder. He, he's, yeah. he is beyond angry. You know, he's like ready to be, he's ready to be a terrorist pretty much, right? Yeah, I, I mean, yeah. Um, <laughs> I was just imagining myself wearing a shirt that said Team Alabaster. <laughs> if you need to make that. Um, um, yeah, no, the Fulcrum is obsessed with making copies of him because, I mean, you don't need those children to grow up to be, to be effective, right? You just like, all right, take out the Sussapanate, throw them in another station because they can just do it and they can do it at like, just like the power, the power behind the, you know, his child that did basically. I mean, if they hadn't stopped what, what he was doing, it would have been, you know, it could have started. Even off though the there was, a, yeah, which has already been kicked off, right? Well, no, not at that point. Well, no, not at this point. Yeah, it would have kicked off a season. Yeah. Um. Yeah, Alabaster's been through a lot. He doesn't know who his parents are. It's just two other origins who were bred to make him. Mm-hmm. And then he's made to just breed with whoever. You know, he, he for all he knows, he could have he could have had a baby with a sibling. He wouldn't even know. Yeah. He never gets to see what yeah. happens to his children until he finds out about whenever it is that he found out about what the node maintainers really were. Mm-hmm. Um I'm, you know, so that must be incredibly painful. So they get to Alia and someone tries to poison him. And that's where we first learn about exactly how powerful he is because he's oh. able, well, he connected to um, cyanide. cyanide earlier to use Before her power, yeah. uh-huh, to use her power. And she has no idea what the hell he's doing. Yeah. And it's in her mind because they've been taught that origins can't work together. It's just like, you can't. You can't link that kind of destructive power without cata- without catastrophe. And, and, and it it's is, very like- it's very likely that the fulcrum doesn't know that origins can do mm-hmm. that because alabaster is a new is a level of power they haven't encountered before. Yeah. So it's it's possible that they weren't keeping that from her that they really just didn't know. So he does it again, and that's when she finds out he can link to the obelisks, mm-hmm. and he's able to remove his. He's able to pinpoint his power so precisely that he can remove the poison from his own bloodstream yeah and i was like okay this is this is something else yeah and i and for the parts like that i really enjoy having like getting this from cyanite's pov because like she is shocked and bewildered that this is even possible you know like it's i like just let just for you to say that i'm thinking about like just poisoning in general and just to be able to isolate those molecules and to draw them out of your system um, right it's, what the fuck um yeah. so 
when I first read it, I started thinking it was going to be a mystery about who tried to poison. Who tried to poison? <laughs> and it's like you quickly realize it really doesn't matter who. It doesn't matter because yeah, he's got another fate coming for him. He's not going to die of poison. No. Um, guardians show up, try to kill them, and Alia. Oh, actually, before we talk about that, one of the things I appreciated with Alabaster was the way he forced the uh, lieutenant governor woman to yeah, show him some respect. Mm-hmm. Oh, I love that part of it. He's like, listen, I we just it. traveled from all the way over here. You don't know what we're like. Hello, we're coming here to save your community. Treat us with respect. And I think that that was a big um, eye opener for Cyanite. You know, like we are the powerful ones here. We are we should have um more of a say just you know like you guys owe your livelihood and everything to us so please act like you understand that uh because i forgot what the what the person's name was but whew, what a bitch yeah and when, when <laughs> just basically not and i can't maybe i like part of it is like what a bitch is like just there's like bigotry and ignorance that come along with it like obviously this is how this person has been like they're a product of their society right, right. but then like everybody else has at least has it you know for the sake of diplomatic relations to be polite, which she, what Cyanet keeps talking about, right? Like the politeness of-, of Wait, you didn't even offer me a cup of safe to drink. Ugh, safe. I know, that sounds nasty, right? <laughs> no, it's, everything about safe sounds disgusting. I just imagine it being all chalky. Ugh. But um, yeah, so the, their treatment there, you realize like even, even the fulcrum, fulcrum trained origins who come there to save your ass don't even get treated with a little bit of respect, but Alabaster demands it. And I appreciated that mm-hmm. from him because at first it does seem like, oh, he's being an asshole. But then it's like, no, you're right. Like, why can't I be treated with like at least basic respect? Mm-hmm. Like, I'm here to save your ass, you yeah. know? Um, they, yeah. So they get the nice hotel and of course someone tries to poison him. Um, yeah. We get more into... The types of powers these guardians have which cyanide isn't aware of yeah when they show up and dampen their powers mm-hmm. that part had me terrified for them like how are they even supposed to come like i really i don't know i thought that it was done skis for alabaster it's like oh my god and then finding out that they can't tell you should never touch them with their bare skin and uh-huh. how the one she's like you know she's like I evaluating the guardian with the shirt off. She doesn't realize he's a guardian. He's just a hot guy with no shirt on. And she's like checking him out because she's been having, you know, joyless sex for right. who knows how long with Alabaster. So she's like, oh, the pussy's winking, you know? <laughs> and then he's like, don't, 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 don't let him touch you. This is why. Um, and then you find out later with poor Inan exactly why. Um, but the fact that they're able to negate their powers and so effectively. Ugh. While they're in Alia, she connects to an obelisk for the first time. And she sees a stone eater inside that she thinks is dead Mm -hmm. until it turns its head and is like, hello. And I cannot wait to see that on screen. I can't wait. I am just, please God, let it be good. Um, (laughs) (laughs) I can't wait. Yeah. Um, I imagine you'll have to use tons of CGI to get it across Don't the, like, Give it the, the stone eater like uh what is it what's the term uh oh god what is it called 
I can't remember oh. when something is not quite human, but almost. Do you know what I'm talking about? I oh, do. It's going to drive me crazy. But you know what I mean. Yes. We'll say human-esque for now because I know what you're talking about. It's not that. It's like on the tip of my tongue and I just can't bring it to the front of my mind what it is that I want to say. In any sense, I think they're going to have to use like some CGI for that because the stone eaters are super creepy yeah. um, because they look so close to human, but they're not quite there. Uncanny Valley. Thank you, Micah. Oh, Uncanny Valley. That's That was going to drive me insane. I was really about to stop the whole show and oops, I didn't mean to put that up. Um, and, and like look it up. Yeah, the uncanny valley. There's they're they're probably gonna need to use some CGI for that, which is great. I mean, we've come wow. a long way with CGI, so that'd be great. I think it's gonna be a show, not a movie. I think it's gonna be a series, I yeah. think, but I'm not totally I think sure. So too. I don't think but I also movie. think that NK Jemison is gonna be um one of the actual showrunners for it. Well, she, she needs it. to be. Yeah, but you know, they don't always do that. They don't always give them that yeah. type of, let them have that type of input, but she will. So that's, that gives me hope. Um, <laughs> Ibi Ali says, the movie show better be great. I'm already fan casting. <laughs> oh my God. That that could be an entire episode on its yeah, own. Yeah, I would love it to be a show. And just like, it's just everything about there because the obelisks are like, they're a huge mystery. You don't know what's going on. You know, there's like these giant crystals in the sky that kind of just float around. And they're like really kilometers knows. long. They're Haven't, not like, yeah. you know. They're not like little, yeah. They're, they're celestial huge. objects. They're celestial yeah. objects. And I don't know if we should and talk about celestial the, objects or what. Well, we'll, we'll get to it. Because <laughs> so we, know, we, know we know that the obelisks are from a previous civilization, dead civs, as mm -hmm. they call them. Dead civs. And yeah. nobody living knows what they do, really. They're just there. They're left They're over. There. They've always been there. They don't know how or why or if they serve any purpose. They're just there. They move on their own accord or they think they do. And yeah, nobody knows that they're like this like untapped crystal, ginormous crystals of power. Right. So fast mm. forward to Antimony, the stone eater, dragging them through the ground. Fast forward or rewind. Yeah, but well, to getting to Meov, <laughs> this island, small island nation where they respect origins and let them lead. And we meet mm -hmm. Inon, who sound very sexy, and yeah. uh, they become a, a thruple, which is very forward thinking of them, this family of three. We that. also learn, I'm just like fast forward, and we learn that Cyanide is pregnant. And they okay, have a powerful baby. origin baby that the fulcrum always wanted. Mm -hmm. um koru but of course you know that this can't last right yeah. we know that it their can't happiness last. can't last um because eventually i mean because i mean let's from the second that she went out on that pirating mission with them and did what she did i was like oh man and like i think that even more on this on my reread was i was just like how would they not discover that you were somehow behind it you know like how well i mean they, they left it down? they we've we've learned that they left it smoldering on purpose yeah because they knew she wouldn't be able somebody to not stop the volcano yeah. so yep. you know and it, it was a trap it was a trap all along <sighs> um inon wouldn't have had the precision precision to be able to fix it 
he might have been able to stop any tidal waves from mm -hmm. hitting me off, but he wasn't on his own going to go all the way back to Alia and try to fix it. She fixes no. this, she stops everything and fixes it and feels good and then realizes there's a guardian there. So oh, that part, that whole section where there, she's like, she's my guts were on the ridge. I was just like, oh my God. And she like, see, she's like, it was wearing burgundy. And yeah. Just, oh, that had, that had my, the terror. my guts and just anguish because yeah. on my first read, I didn't, obviously I didn't know what's going to happen, but I knew it was going to mm -hmm. be bad. On my second read, I was really just dreading it. I was, mm -hmm. I, I had actually considered skipping that part. Um, yeah because it just it just hurts so much so they come and yeah they come to me of they kill a bunch of people the guardians are there they bring origins to fight which made me hate those origins but at the same time yeah. they okay. don't they, they don't know they don't know they're, they're not you know, awake. they're, they're doing know. their job you know exactly. and we learn what it is that a guardian did to alabaster's lover, lover. Yeah. he said that he turned his power inward which I, we still don't understand fully what is happening, mm -hmm. but this guardian grabs Inon and basically makes him explode. Yeah. And Ugh. while she's seeing this happen, Alabaster tells her to save, to not let them take Cor Cor no, not to, no matter right, the cost. Take him no matter what, because they know what she he knows where he's gonna end up. This baby's gonna end up in a node station. Because she doesn't realize how power Cor how powerful Koru is. And she's been she's thinking like Alabaster has been the one like quelling shakes and all this stuff around her, but it's this baby. So he's, he's been, been doing, doing it, it for time. like a year. Yeah. He doesn't even know he's doing it. And so huge spoiler, very sad. She kills Koru, she suffocates him. To keep mm -hmm. him from being Getting taken and guardian's hands and that part is like it always forces me to like because i have children so mm -hmm. it always forces me to think like what would i do if i had to kill one of my kids to save them and it's like the yeah. hardest thing to think about you know it's hard to read anyway just as a human who has feelings it's hard to read but i was reading this i when I, my most recent reread i was reading this while holding my baby and it like completely broke me like i mm -hmm. it made me way sadder than it did on my previous reads right. because this time it was like i had like a physical child in front of me that i'm looking at and, and starting to think like what could that feel like yeah and just to know that, like, whatever you're doing is more merciful than any future they right. could possibly have. Right. It's like that weighing those those options. Um, like, is it better to keep your child uh, alive and like know exactly what they're going to be suffering, or is it better just like you know? Right. Uh, it is very beloved by Toni Morrison. Yes. Yes. Yeah. And then and then of course like you go uh, at least for me I go through the the mental rabbit hole of like damn what did my ancestors go through you know, children born into slavery who, mm -hmm. um, or even children who didn't even make it through the middle passage, whose yeah. parents probably killed them knowing what was coming. And it's just like, oh, I think about it too, like <laughs> with like the zombie apocalypse, if we had a zombie apocalypse, would I want my children to try to live through it? Or would I, Yeah, would I want to end it all? And it's just like, so anyway, I ended up in this whole like rabbit hole and it, it hurts, it's rough. Um, 
Yeah. <sighs> so and then we see Alabaster get taken away by a stone eater. Like, we know that the they ground. can travel. And that that whole part is so devastating. So right, devastating. Because he's fighting it so hard to, like, to, to be able to stay there and fight. Because like let's keep it real, like Alabaster doesn't really know she'll if she'll do what it takes. And he doesn't know what that might come to. He right. suspects it, I think. But I mean, throughout that whole period, you can tell that he was so happy being able to raise his child and to be a dad. And she was just like, yeah, no, no, that's cool. But like, I want to go do this other shit. Like I wasn't. Yeah, she was bored. She was completely bored. She had other things in mind. Um, But then, you know, and as as Micah's saying, like, yeah, she loses everything. And then if we have to like, like backtrack a little bit and then we pick it back, back up on Esun's story. I was just this about where to it say all comes it. back together. It all comes back. So now through all of this, we learn that this woman, Cyanite, who has had to kill her own child, who's been bred like an animal, who briefly found peace, has been mm-hmm. chased by guardians. We learn that that is Esun, who has come home to find her dead toddler, that her husband has beaten to death. She doesn't know if her daughter is dead or alive. She just knows that mm-hmm. she's gone and she's losing everything again. And God, and I feel she's bad just so numb. She's just yeah. so numb, you know. Like the I, every, I feel like those maybe even up until she sees Alabaster, even it's just like she does not. She's just going through the motions. She's like, all right, I have to survive. And she's she's repeatedly reminding herself to not think because yeah. if she thinks, yeah. she's gonna feel, and she can't. She just cannot she do that right now. She can't do it again because she needs she to focus on getting to Nasun. Yeah. She reminds herself that I'm still that I'm still a mother. I still have one child out there, um, and I have to figure out how to get get to her. And then we meet Hoa. Hoa sounded really cute to me. He yeah, sounded adorable until he killed. What was that animal called? Oh, I forgot. With the the have fucking... the book open. Let me see. Uh, I don't remember, but it sounded terrifying. Anyway, whatever the animal is that they like eat plants until a season starts. Everything changes in a season. Everything changes Everything in changes a season. Everything changes during a season, right? Yeah. And those little pets start getting a taste for meat in a season. Yeah, it's like once they, once they um, like eat ash or like drink ash or whatever, once they ingest ash, it flips them and it they flips, go into survival yeah. mode. Yeah, and they start basically be, be uh, becoming hunters, and Hoa stops it, turns that thing into stone. Mm-hmm. Oh God, I really don't remember. I'm trying um, to look. I'm scrolling through the book now. I'm trying to find it, right. but keep going. I'm, yeah, I'll find that's, it. yeah, but he he kills he kills it, and she's surprised because she's like, "Wait a second, so you're not a kid?" And Tonki, who was there, who is you know Benoff, is also there, and is like, "Wait a second. Um, and so she learns that this is not. A normal I feel like she was so numb she wasn't picking up on a lot of the cues like she you know she said she says later in the book she's like I've never seen him breathe and this is at the right. very end of the book that she's like I've never seen him breathe I've never seen him eat until the one time he eats in front of her um, right you know those little crystals yeah I want to talk about that but I feel like that's for the next book <laughs> how is crystals well um, I mean Let's talk about Tonki. We find out, before we find out who Tonki is, mm-hmm. we learn that Tonki clearly has studied at university and is a geomist. Mm-hmm. Then we learn that Tonki is trans. 
Yep. And is trying to hide it, but Esu doesn't really care. She's just kind of like, whatever. Yeah. But we learn that it matters later because Tonki is Binoff from the very beginning, who met, mm -hmm. who's from a leadership family and met Damaya way back when. Binoff is the one who found the room with the huge socket socket and has been researching the obelisks all this time we find out that she's also been following Esun this whole time yeah to, and because what Esun doesn't realize is the obelisks follow her ever mm -hmm. since she connected to the one in alia they follow her the reason that uh Beanoff's being trans mattered is because it threw off her like arranged marriages because right. they wanted to marry her to a woman as a man and yeah you know could not because she was trans and it just like messed up their arrangements and they figured it was easy to just like let her go to college or university yeah. and just quietly disown her and let her go live her life uh micah says actually didn't catch that Tonki is trans until a friend told me I got too distracted by the whole apocalypse happening. <laughs> That's true. I mean, yeah. I mean, yeah. it's a really quick thing. The first, the first yeah, time it's mentioned. Like, yeah. The first time it's mentioned when she's is when she's taking a bath. Yeah. She notices yeah. that Tonki has a penis and she's like, Oh, yeah. that's a surprise, but it's, it's really not a big deal. And then later yeah. on, uh, Tonki runs out of whatever it is that she's taking that suppresses hair growth. So she starts mm -hmm. shaving. Yeah. And that's and then when she realizes that Tonki is being off is when it all comes together. Why Tonki yeah. is going through all this trouble? Um, that was such a crazy reveal for me. Like realizing that they were that was the same person. This annoying right. little girl's this person because I didn't. I honestly didn't see it coming, and I forgot about it in my reread, and I didn't see it coming again. I was like, oh yeah. No, I didn't forget about it. But I I absolutely did not see it coming that Tonki would be being off. I didn't see it coming at yeah. all, and I didn't know what the um. I thought being, I thought we were done with Beanoff's story by her finding yeah. the socket and making us think about the obelisks. I thought that was mm -hmm. the end of Beanoff's story. So finding out that Beanoff is and, Tonky. Yeah, and not huh. even realizing that that's what was there. Like, well, there used to be something in here. We don't right. know what that is, right? Um, and then making that connection that there's obelisk and you know she's been she. I mean, as she was always inquisitive, but she took that in you know that curious nature and studied and has basically been following Essen ever since. And her being disowned by her family is probably was worked out in her benefit because it gave her yeah. the time to be able to continue her research and her studies yeah. and, and to find Essen because otherwise she would have been married off to some whoever, leadership, whatever, and been giving some other type of job to do. Um, oh, no. Tonkies. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, that was my son. I don't know what happened. Um, God, that just like threw me off. Um, yeah, finding Tonki and that whole story. Yeah, because... Tonki has been doing this research all this time. Esun had no idea that obelisks have been following her. Um, we meet, we get to this underground comm inside a geode run by. So um, cool. Uh, what's her name? Uh, I keep saying Iki, but that's not her name. Yika. 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 They call her Yik. Yeah. Run by Yika, who calls herself Yika Raga. Uh, what's the name of the com again? Kastrima. Kastrima. It's an underground com inside a geo that's basically powered by Orogeny. Yep. Which 
they've never heard of before. And mm -hmm. the people who were there before suffocated there because they didn't, for whatever yeah. reason, realize that, you know, you need a origin oh, to make sure. this work. Um, yeah. So that, that was a really interesting thing that like, this whole comm has been built. So maybe there was a time where origins were not treated so horribly. If this entire mm -hmm. place has been built, um, the city above it is built as a cover almost, right? Yeah. Um, yep. When she gets to Kastrima, we find out that Yika has been like a homing signal calling origins she, to her. Mm -hmm. And that's and she, and she also has that connection. Like she, whatever whatever Alabaster did, she's able to do on like in a different type of power, uh, mm -hmm. with a different type of power and reach. And it's it's really exciting because you're like, oh wait a second, there's more to Origini than just like oh taking care of a couple earthquakes and like raising right. things out of the ground. Like right. This, and this is what Alabaster's been trying to tell her. Yeah. Like we're and... much more useful than the way that they're basically keeping us together. Yeah, and I feel like Essen has wanted to just have, live a normal life so badly that it's been 12 years since Miav. Um, you know, everyone died, she got away, but Alabaster got pulled through the stone. That whole thing happened, and now it's 12 years later. We get so she's in Kastrima because Hoa is able to track origins for some reason. Mm -hmm. At first, we don't know, and now we later learn he's a stone, a stone eater. How did you feel about the Hoa stone eater reveal? Um, I love that. I was, I mean, I think this the second time, the first time I was a little bit suspicious because, like, what is he eating? And, like, what, it, like, how did was he able to do that? And then as I remembered, like, antimony, I was like, okay, well, maybe it was not, it wasn't antimony, it was, um, Yika's her stone oh yika stone eater uh yeah i don't remember her name let me see if i can find it go ahead though i'll see if i can find yeah. it and then so when once they reacted to each other and like the kind of like the hissing standoff that they had i was like oh you're not a human boy like everything about him is just a little bit too weird um and so i wasn't surprised but i think the most interesting thing was that one that he was able to track because you know he's able to track origins when he meets uh when he meets um alabaster stone eater antimony that he's like oh i'm not i have no interest in you my interest is in her which hmm, foreboding but mm -hmm. and <laughs> i mean i i get like fucked up thinking about that in the next couple of books um we've got a bot blocked <laughs> Bye. um yeah like watching watching those uh, interactions, like I think I was suspicious of Hoa the whole time because I didn't think that he was human. I thought that he was something else, but I wasn't sure if maybe he was like an origin who was able, who was just like keeping it on the wraps because he was able to detect where the rest of them are, where the rest of them were. <sighs> so I'm gonna say something about the obelisk and the fact that you know. Go for it. Like I'm waiting for, I was like, I feel like, and I guess it happens later, but I was waiting for her to make the connection after Tonki tells her, well, I was able to track you because of the obelisk and Hoa, and Hoa tells her, or no, I, um, she tells her that there's a point where there were two obelisks, obelisks outside of their village, right? And one went mm -hmm. one way and one went the other. And it just, it kills me every time that she didn't ask to like, well, where did that other one go? Because maybe it's tracking my daughter, but whatever. <sighs> I did not know that Hoa means friend in Hawaiian. 
This is a comment. Interestingly, Hoa means friend in Hawaiian, so that was my immediate connection to him. Well, I mean, yeah, he seems like this little kid who's possibly mm -hmm. lost his people. We don't know why he's naked, but who knows what happened? Who knows what he was doing while this whole thing went down? Because remember, she also still doesn't know what happened in the North. There was just a huge mm -hmm. shake. Yeah. yeah. Um, <laughs> <sighs> all right. So let's go to the prologue, right? Let's go. Yeah, right, right. Because <laughs> which brings us back to the beginning. Yeah, it brings you back to the beginning. This whole obelisk that, or this thing that cracks open, it's is this person comes out. Is it takes days? This is like liquid that comes out. They crack off a bunch of uh, crystals. Well, now mm. we know that that was Hoa, and we yeah. learned that Hoa disguised himself as a child, which we did not know. No one knew that stone eaters mm. can do, but no one really knows anything about stone eaters because they don't tell yeah. you anything. He's been tracking her for some time. Yeah. And has been just waiting for his moment. We don't know why. We learn on our reread. So in Kastrima, she meets, um, she runs back into Lerna and Lerna, the doctor from her from her um community. And then he brings oh, yeah. her. Yeah, he brings her to Alabaster, who she hasn't seen in 12 years. This Alabaster is clearly dying. He mm -hmm. is part stone and he's with antimony, yep. who yep. again sounds terrifying. Yep. And she notices bite marks on the stone his part stump. of his limbs. So now we know what kind of stone stone eaters eat, but we don't know what that's mm -hmm. about. Yep, not yet. He gives her, he shows her the like, uh, the like knife that's made out of obelisk. And he's like, have you figured it out yet? Because he's expecting her this whole time to figure out how to connect to obelisks. All of these, oh God, like intent and to do it and to, and to do it intentionally, not to do it by accident. Right. And then you realize that the, the speaker in the very beginning yep. was Alabaster. Alabaster yep. ended the world, starting with Eumenes. He broke yep. the world, starting with Eumenes. That for me was one of the biggest, just like jaw dropping moments. Like Alabaster, that was Alabaster in the beginning. And and again, yeah. I didn't, I mean, we find out, but it's not until my reread when I'm rereading it, knowing that it's Alabaster, that I'm like, holy shit, Alabaster, she says, is not crazy. He knew yeah. what he was doing. He knew He's exactly not crazy. what he was He's doing. He's vengeful. He's exactly. It's fine. Like they have done everything they could possibly do to him. He was happy. They took that from him and he could not abide it anymore. And he tells her he understands what happened with Koru, but he can't forgive her, which mm -hmm. I imagine must have really hurt, especially because she lost Uche at the same, around the same age that Koru was. Yeah. Yeah. Um, the, yeah. A like lot the of people broke the wheel. Yeah, yeah. A lot of people felt like the big, like reveal was that Damaya, Cyanite, and Esun were the same person. Um, but before you say that, well, we'll talk about a little bit about Father Earth because you do get a little bit about the lore, right? Father Earth is like this being and he came into existence and he's letting people like live. He created like this planet and he's letting the people, the inhabitants, the inhabitants who are, you know, varying powers live on there. 
and they abused his, they abused his uh, generosity or whatever. And they killed him. They say, they mentioned it kind of in passing. They're like, okay, well, father earth became angry and is like punishing people because they killed his only son. Mm-hmm. They killed his, they, they killed his we son. We don't know what that, we, you know, we, we don't, don't know, know what, what any of that, that means. means. It's like, it's an allegory, whatever. Right. However, until the very last line of this mm-hmm. book, when he says, tell me, have you ever heard of something called a moon? And I was like, what? There is no fucking moon. And when you go back to the beginning, mm-hmm. we're essentially told that there's no moon. Yeah. Like she talks about, they, they talk about it. She's talking about, you know, they're, they notice like stars and these things in the, in the object, but they can't notice or pay attention to things that are not there and that they have never known to be there. And so this whole time, <laughs> <laughs> they're like living in a world where there is no moon for balance. This is why the seasons are messed up. This is why they're, you know, they're suffering from all of these, um, this, the chaoticness, the environmental chaoticness is a punishment from uh, Earth Father. Right. Whew. So this whole Father Earth's only child essentially we're probably talking about a moon but every no no one knows what a moon is in this world because mm-hmm. it's been so long since they've had one yep and the fact that the book ends there is what made me say like okay no we got to we got to go back to the other books and do all of it yeah that's why we're going to do all three so we're going to do all of them <laughs> Uh, here's a comment from Micah. Both of those segments allude to it. I caught on to the lack of a moon and guessed that something happened to it. I could not stop talking about it after the reveal. I didn't guess that there was no moon. I was completely ignoring the fact that they mentioned the stars and the sun and I, I ignored the father earth's only child. Like I ignored all of it because I was so focused on Esun finding her kid and what happened to Alabaster and all of that stuff, I was so focused on that that I was not thinking about the lack of moon. And um, so when he says, you know, tell me, have you ever uh, heard of a moon? That reveal to me was really, really huge. And so on my reread, yeah. that's when those things stood out to me. Yeah. The, the lack of a moon. I mean, nobody even knows what it is. So yeah. Um, and I think it's really interesting because I I mean, because we don't, we didn't, we haven't really had a chance where we won't be able to talk about it this time and talk about kind of like how each chapter opens with those little passages from like stone lore or, you know, like the interludes, because those are really important. They're not throwaway pieces of information. No, they're not. Just like Sanderson or, or someone else. Right. It's like, these are essential to your knowledge of the world. Um, they're not just like cute little ways to begin a chapter. So, or end a chapter, um, depending on where they're placed. So, yeah, Whew. I cannot wait for the next book because I don't remember what happens. I'd like, I remember the story for me, like as a whole, it's not like this book, that book, this book, I like remember it as one right. continuous thing. Right. No, so I'm, I'm really going to, I waited. To yeah. I, I, I definitely wanted to wait till we had this discussion before I started the second book. Um, this comment, was there a mention of tides in Alia? I don't remember, but it's interesting to think what the ocean is like without a moon. They don't specifically mm-hmm. mention tides, but they talk about how dangerous it is 
to live on on an island like people don't really travel by sea and they don't really Mm -hmm. live on islands because they talk about um there's always a risk of tsunami a risk of tsunami and not just like a hundred foot waves but like waves the size of mountains like mountains of water coming at you and they probably i don't know maybe they just don't call it tides because we we tie tides to the moon and they don't have a moon so Mm -hmm. i don't know um yeah so reread reread it if you can, if you have enough time, we're going to do the audio book. Yeah, this audiobook. We're going to do the second book. Uh, we haven't set a date for it, but that will be in March. Actually, no, March. we do have a date for it because. Were we good? Um, I don't have my calendar here. We did have a date for it because it was the date we were going to do the other book. Oh, wait, let me check right. my phone calendar. Hold on, um, the Obelisk Gate is the second book. So please go get it. I don't have it in front of me to show you. But, I do. Hold on. <laughs> oh, Nikki will show you the cover. Whoa. Oh, no, we didn't set a date, Nikki. Bing. So when we do set a date, we'll tell you. It'll be in March. Obelisk There's the Obelisk Gate. Gate. That little um, circle sticker is where it says Hugo Award winner, but you can't see it on here. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, we didn't, we didn't want to. It's almost 430. We didn't want to go too long. But there's this, I mean, there's a yeah, there's a million, there's just a million things to talk about with this story, and we 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 try to cover as as much as we can, but um, you know, there's, there's too much to talk about in like an hour, but definitely reread it. We'll cover the Obelisk Gate and Obelisk Gate in uh, March, and we'll give you the date for that at some point. Um, um yeah, AK. Okay. <laughs> Stormlight Archive. Yes, please read it. AK, read Stormlight Archive. One day we'll talk about it. Uh, yeah, we were trying to figure that out. Y'all are the reason why I found this series. Thank you, thank you, thank you. You're welcome. I am Aww. so that makes me so happy. I'm so happy that you enjoyed it. I I really yeah. love it when people like something that I recommend. Did I recommend <laughs> this to you, Nikki? I can't remember. Uh, I probably. Um, but you know, I mean, this it's it's probably my current favorite series. So I'm really really looking forward to March. That gives you roughly two months to mm-hmm. read the second That's book. Enough and, time. Yeah, you'll be able to cover it. And, it's and, enough time to reread the first one and read the second one. So go for it. Please do. Uh, we'll be yeah. back in March. We'll uh, post, you know, follow us on Twitter, Thousand Eyes One, O-N-E, not the number. Follow us Facebook, A Thousand Eyes and One, Instagram, A Thousand Eyes and One, and Book Club stuff all gets posted to Instagram, Wine on an Empty Stomach. Um, we will cover Obelisk Gate March. We're really looking forward to it. And, you know, when we're talking about Obelisk Gate, we can always reach back and talk more about the season should the need arise because there's just always so much more to talk about. That's, That's going to be the end of the stream for us. Thank you guys so much for joining and for, yeah. to, for you know, your comments and everything. I really, really Thanks hope for that engaging. you read it. Yeah, no, I really hope that, I hope that you guys read the next book so that we can talk about it because I'm um, beyond excited about it so thank you thank you thank you we will talk to you later bye